0: Good morning. morning. It's so great to see you. We greet you in Jesus' wonderful name and and it's such a joy. I was a little bit hesitant uh, to come in here this morning for a few reasons and I wasn't sure if it was that we were paying 91 cents a liter for gas or uh, it was the Trans Mountain Pipeline or the football game last night I'm not sure uh, all of that I thought it was a little bit dangerous but I'm uh, so good to see you. we've been on vacation my parents have a trailer at Holiday Park and uh, we all, all all us boys there's three of us in in the Nud family we have uh, well at least two of us take turns going there and this year I got to bring uh, my adult kids with me which made it even better and what it made that even better is we had a Rook tournament, and the guys won this year. And we got to eat Kelow Nuts for the first time, and I've never, ever had those before. And definitely, it's worth coming to Kelowna to have uh, Kelow Nuts. If you haven't had them, you need to try them and then drive directly to the hospital <laughs> to be seen when you're done. I want to thank you, Pastor Dale, for uh, having me speak this morning. Pastor Dale is is an amazing friend as well, and uh, as you know, um, really for me, the biggest thing I wanted to do this morning was say thank you to this church, because uh, you know what we've been through the last year. We lost two of our pastors suddenly. Uh, One was my best friend. The first, Pastor Stan, uh, was our, you know, I would call him our visitation pastor. He came to church one Sunday morning, wasn't feeling really good. Uh, Didn't really know what was going on and had an aneurysm and he died. And uh, so that was February. And then just about this time, almost in July, Pastor Quinn, I called him. We were setting up for day camp. How's it going? He goes, "Uh, Not very good. I said, Why not? He said, Well, the doctor called me and told me I have pancreatic cancer. And the Lord, uh, in his sovereign will, chose to take Pastor Quinn home in December. And many of you have been praying for us. So I just want to say thank you for praying for us. It's meant the world to us to know that you've been praying. And uh, one of these times, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about all that we learned during that time. It's a very humbling time. I can tell you that. Our church has been humbled in a big way. But God has been very gracious to us and so grateful uh, that. You know, it's amazing to me to see, I've never been through something like that before and done many, many, many funerals, but none have ever been kind of like that in that season and in the church. And God raised up different people who are amazing comforters, people that I never, ever thought could be used of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon them to comfort in amazing ways. And I've really grown to appreciate that, and, and I want to encourage you, if the Lord uh, uses you in that way, um, use your gift and bless the body. It's such an important part of a behind-the-scenes ministry, and we could talk a lot about that, but if you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis, the book of Genesis, and uh, Genesis chapter 43, and I'm actually... Uh, hopefully, by God's grace, we're going to get to Genesis 45. But we're going to take a running leap into it. And you'll know what I mean. If you're kind of thinking, man, he's going slow. Where are we going? It speeds up at the end. I trust you. But if you look at Genesis chapter 43, I I guess if you could entitle the message, I would entitle the message this morning, People Can Change. And I know that is a controversial thing to say. So a lot of people that don't really believe people can change. And I want us to see from the word of God how God is able to work the situations and the circumstances around in our lives so as to produce change that we never ever thought was possible. So chapter 43, as we come here, that the brothers, and this is the account of Joseph, and, and the brothers have met Joseph, Joseph's brothers. They know that it's, uh, they, they know that this man is, is a powerful man. Joseph knows them. They don't know Joseph providentially. They're introduced, not knowing it's their brother. And they've come to Egypt looking for food. And, and they've come, and it's been the first time. And, and the first time they come, and this is just to remind you, Joseph, as he meets those brothers, he's really mean, and he's harsh to them, the Bible says. He accuses them of being spies. He says to them, and he knows they're not spies, but he says to them, you're all spies. And and they respond to him, no, we are all one man's son. In other words, there's 10 of us, and and if we were all spies, we wouldn't come together because if we got found out, you'd wipe the whole family out. Of course we're not spies. We're a family looking for food. In other words, we're telling you the truth. But Joseph has this plan because he's looking for something, and, and so he gives them food and and as he sends them, he keeps one of the brothers. And, and if you'll remember the account, it's Simeon who's kept at basically as collateral in Egypt. He sends them back to Canaan, the brothers back to Canaan, back to his dad, and, and back to his little brother, Benjamin. Simeon is left as collateral in Egypt. You could call it maybe a hostage situation or a deposit, depending on how you want to look at it. But he's left there. While the rest of the brothers, they go back with the grain to Canaan, back to Canaan, back to Benjamin. And here's the deal that Joseph makes. You will win your lives back if, and you will win Simeon back if you return with Benjamin. So so Joseph begins to apply this kind of Uh, situation to his brother's lives. And it's almost like a poultice that he's trying to draw out what's really inside of them. Now here's the deal. When they bring Benjamin back, Benjamin will supposedly verify the story. Now the deal is that Joseph, all Joseph wants is he just wants to have them with him and he wants to protect them. But he's definitely playing with them a bit. They don't know It's Joseph. And so Joseph's got a secret. But they, in their minds think that Joseph doesn't know who they are. They've got a secret. And as you read through it, chapter 43, you keep reading that the brothers keep calling Joseph the man, the man, the man. And the whole account is built around the fact that they think they have a secret that's not really a secret. And Joseph's trying to squeeze out of them if they have any sense of what they've done and where they're at today. So Joseph sends them, gives the command for the money they paid to be secretly put back into their grain sacks and for b- provisions to be supplied. Now, interesting to see how Joseph is playing this. If you read through this account, and we'll just read parts of it, it's all built around what happened to Joseph 22 years before. And the whole thing is meant to conjure up memories in their mind 17 years Uh, of age when this all happened to Joseph. It's 22 years later. The day his brothers sold him into slavery and they saw him, they saw Joseph as a spy sent from their papa to see what they were doing to check on them and they despised him, they despised his special relationship with his dad, they despised this dreamer and they accused him and they stripped him down and they threw him in a pit and they had murderous thoughts and they end up selling him for 20 uh, shekels of silver, now the shoe is on the other foot. And the question is, are they self-aware at any level? So here they are, chapter 43. They open their bags, <laughs> and they also see the money in there. Wouldn't would make sense to me that they would have seen 20 shekels of silver there as well. Joseph trying to remind them, does anything look familiar at all? all designed to trigger a memory 22 years ago, so distant, but it's the secret they're holding. And Joseph wants to see how they're going to react, not to jet, just to mess with them, but he wants to see, is there any change in them? Are they still the resentful, uh, greedy, conniving, murderous ones that sold him to the Ishmaelite traders as a slave? Well, we'll see later that Joshua's goal is restoration. But before restoration comes, there has to be change. There has to be confession. There has to be repentance. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. It says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. So we're almost done the food. It's time to go back to Egypt. Now remember that they've left Simeon in Egypt this whole time. So sorry, Simeon, about that. Verse three says, But Judah spoke to him, that's to dad, to papa, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to him, why did you deal so wrongly with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? In other words, did you have to open up your big trap and tell the guy that you still got Family. Verse 7, but they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? (laughs) Just a hint, Joseph's asking the questions. It's it's almost like Joseph knows something about them. But they have to go, and if they they go, they have to take Benjamin the youngest. They have no choice. Look at verse 11. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels, carry down a present for the man a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise. Go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, Israel says, I am bereaved. (laughs) So he says, take double. The famine is worse. The price has gone up. But it's amazing when you read this. Did you notice that it says the word Israel? Jacob's called Israel there. I think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something. See, Israel, remember Jacob means heel catcher. Israel means governed by God. And God's been working in Jacob's life, in Israel's life. There's a big difference now in his response. He just gives in. He feels like he's at the end of his rope. And what's his answer? He says, well, take all this stuff, take double the money, and uh, take your brother with you. And he says, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You know, that's called letting go. Israel is finally letting go. Every one of us can relate to this. God brings us to the end of our rope. And we think that the end of our rope also means it's the end of any strength for us. And so it's so hard to let go of the rope. But God wants us to let go of the rope and discover a whole new realm of what he can do, and we trust him at the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God has just begun. But we white-knuckle it, don't we? And we don't want to let go. And so they head back, just as Israel instructed. They're invited in for a noon meal at Joseph's house, which is the big meal of the day. They're like, what in the world is going on? Now the men, verse 18, were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. You know, there's some places you just want to go in and go out, but not Joseph's place because you're uh, scared he's going to find out something about you. And they said, it's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us, seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. (laughs) And when they drew near, the servant steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. They, they can't escape. And, and he said, oh, sir, we indeed uh, came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment, we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack. Our, mouth, our money is in full weight, so we have brought it back in our hand. We have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We don't know who put the money in our sacks, blah, 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 blah. And they're just going on. And, and, and it's like no one's asking, but they're just confessing. Blah, 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 blah. You know, 90 miles an hour. (laughs) They're sweating bullets. (laughs) And Joseph's probably smiling while they're doing that. But Joseph's wanting them to sweat out something else. Verse 23, the steward said, Peace be with you, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers given treasure in your sack. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Really? It's that easy? (laughs) Must have left them wondering. Follow this along. In all of this, Joseph wants his family with him in Egypt in safety to flee uh, and and, and to come through the famine. Love and compassion. And Egypt is going to be the womb, the incubator, that will turn this family that we're reading about into a nation. But, but, there's a big but here. Joseph's also trying to figure out where his brothers are coming from. Because it's been 22 years. Has anything changed? The last time he saw them, they weren't very likable. Were they the same men? Were they ruthless? Were they heartless? Were they uncaring toward their father? All these years, all these crooked paths, all the failure, all the sin, all the bumps in the road, all the messes, all the disappointments, Joseph is trying to figure this all out right now without without any bias at all. Who are these guys really? What's inside of them? Have they changed? Anybody can put on a show when they want something and they want food and and, and they want help. But what are they really like? Joseph comes home to his waiting brothers here near the end of chapter 43 and he asks about his dad. And then, verse 29, it says, Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's his full brother. That's the other son from Rachel, the son that when he was born, Rachel died. And and he sees her. Imagine the moment he says, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. <laughs> Joseph, what a beautiful picture of Jesus. This love for his brethren, the love for his brothers, and the love as, he, as he's, it's poured out, he sees Benjamin, his heart just overflows. It's so Jesus. Yeah, I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I, I so see the Lord here in this picture while we too are in sin. While we too hold on to our secrets. And we too think that Jesus And we think it wrongly that he's somehow angry with us in all of it. But actually, it's his love. And we feel cornered at the time. But we're not cornered by his anger. We're cornered by his love. And he puts the pressure on. But it's love, it's, it's love all the way along. Sin must be confessed, yes. It must be repented of, yes. And change comes, yes. But God is looking for deep humility and brokenness all the while he loves us. And he works in us patiently, not hating us, but he is for us. He waits for this true brokenness without excuses, true humility. And Joseph's looking for that among his brethren. He's still kind of working this game, and he won't sit with the family yet. But verse 33, it says, And so they sat before him, and Joseph sits them, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked in astonishment at one another. In other words, how in the world could he know the birth order here? (laughs) It's almost like this man knows something about us, you think? Verse 34, Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Five times. Why does Benjamin get five times more? Well, the obvious, he's Joseph's favorite brother. (laughs) He wasn't involved in the hurt. Yeah, that's all obvious. But you know what? There's more to it than that. He's testing them. He wants to see if that jealous resentment, remember the coat of many colors? He wants to see if that jealous resentment is still there, that streak in them. Ha, has anything changed? Because after all, you know what? When you come from a famine and, and the food uh, is, is unevenly distributed amongst you, you know, that's going to bring out some hangriness for sure. <laughs> but nothing, no jealousy. No animosity? Could that really be? And they drink and they're merry with him and absolutely nothing. Something seems to have changed. Well, as we come to chapter 44, Joseph sets them up again, and he sends them home, verse 1, and he commanded the steward of the house, saying, fill them in sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, he's setting something up again, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money, so he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Then they catch them in the act, stealing. Verse four, and when they had gone out of the city, they were not yet far off. Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow them in, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks in which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Interesting, why have you repaid evil for good? Is that a trigger? Does that remind you guys of anything? They put that cup in there, that silver cup. That's a superstition of uh, Egyptian rulers. It wasn't real, and Joseph never thought it was real. God spoke to Joseph, yes, but not through a divining cup. He spoke to Joseph through what? Dreams, right? So this is all kind of fake, and he's having fun with them. So they they have the inspection. Verse 12 says, so he searched. He began with the oldest, left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Uh Uh-oh. And they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Busted. I'm a psychic. Don't you know I'm a psychic? I know everything that's going on. He's having some fun. He says, I know. But then something amazing happens here. Judah steps up, a different Judah than we saw before. This hard-hearted man has softened, verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and don't let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. And he begins to explain the situation to Joseph And he shares his heart concerning his dad. Pick it up there around verse 27. It says, then your servant, my father. So this is him talking as his father would talk. said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he is torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad, as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. This is a huge change in Judah. All of a sudden, Joseph, in the situation that he created, he begins to put the squeeze on his brothers. And here Judah, as he squeezes him, all of a sudden, instead of this bitter and envy and murder and harshness, you're just seeing this beautiful love and selflessness come out of him. Joseph was looking at a changed man 22 years had changed him. He was different. His brothers were different. His papa was different. God had been at work in their lives through the years, through the situation, revealing himself, changing and transforming all of this in 22 years. But that now the brothers and these brothers, so important to remember. You know, When God is involved, people really do change. If they allow God to change them, if they surrender to the work of God in the moment, people can change. I know the world doesn't believe that, but we're Christians, and we know the power of our God. God can change. Now, God forbid that I would be the same man 22 years later, let alone two days later, two hours later. God is always at work changing us from moment to moment to moment. Each week, we can feel completely different than we did the week before because God's done an amazing work where he's humbled us or he's schooled us or he has taught us or he's blown this castle out of the water or he's raised this valley up or taken this mountain down or whatever. I'm not who I want to be yet, but I can say, praise God, I'm not what I was. See, our flesh is what puts people into categories and boxes and then says they'll never change. But the word of God says that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. The world says, can a leopard change its pots? And it's like, not on his own, he can't. <laughs> but what God does, a work in us, that's, that's, that's forever. By God's grace and by his word and spirit, people change, we change, they change. And, and as brothers and sisters in the church, we've got to give room and have hope for that that the Lord comes along and he changes the circumstances in our lives and people's lives and he does it to put the pressure on. And it's not hate putting the pressure on, it's not anger putting the pressure on. It's the love of God putting the pressure on. And he corners us into these places and we have no choice but to either stiffen up or surrender and change to the work that God wants to do in our lives. Now, people change But I want you to see this also. Trust is earned. Trust can never be demanded or expected. Just because change has come you can't say, I can't say, well, because I'm changed, you must trust me. No, no, no. New day, new time, new work, but trust has to be earned. Now, Judas' change is manifested in his compassion for his dad. Think about what's just happened here. A son's been restored to his father, and a father's been restored to his son, and Joseph sees it. Take my life, Judas says, and and let the little guy Go back home. It would literally mean the world to my dad if you did this. He's, he's not the, this, this hot-headed guy who doesn't care about his dad who says, I'll do it my way. Who cares about my dad? Joseph's looking at huge change. So look at chapter 45, verse 1. I told you we get here, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself. Before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everybody go out of the room. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. When could Joseph not restrain himself? When he finally realized that the change in his brother was for real. That's when it all changed for him. 22 years have passed by, and oh, the change that God has done. And he says, You know what? Everybody out of here, except my brothers. I want to be left alone. What, what, what I'm going to do right now has to be done with great, great sensitivity. And I've got some news to share with them. It won't be easy news. But now comes the reveal everybody out except those who are affected. Don't you appreciate it when people deal with our failure? in as small a group as possible. Isn't that Matthew chapter 18? Keep it as small as possible. God wants us to succeed and God knows our nature and he's out to make us succeed, not grind us into a corner and, and it only needs to get bigger if it's necessary. So keep it private. Love covers a multitude of sins. Everybody, uh, I've got some stuff. We've got some stuff to share. Verse two, and he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. If only we could see this. This is what movies are made out of. 22 years later, the secret's out. The secret's no longer a secret. They've gathered, and and in their minds, Joseph, 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 what happened to Joseph? The best they could hope for is that he was slaving it somewhere in the Middle East, maybe in some rice patty on the edge of the Nile somewhere. Of all things, you're the prime minister? And you're standing like, <laughs> oh my goodness, of all things, did he have to become the prime minister, you know? And there he is. He says, I'm Joseph. And it says they were dismayed in his presence. Forgive them for not being excited dismayed you know what that word dismayed means literally means they're terrified they're frightened for their lives and when he says i am joseph what are they thinking remember joseph remember the coat remember the pit remember the slave traders remember that they think they're done they think it's over and they're seized with fear. They're petrified. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And said, Joseph said, Please come near me. Why did he say that? Because they're starting to walk back if they hear it. He says, No, 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 come up. Then come. I'm Joseph. Yeah, that Joseph, the one you sold as a slave into Egypt. It's not glossing over anything. He says, You sold me into Egypt. Verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't be angry. Don't be grieved. Why not? Well, Joseph, having honestly stated their sin, but in compassion, he doesn't want them to be angry or grieved with themselves. And it's such a model on how to give grace. Why not? See, Joseph was past the anger; he was past the grief of it. He wanted just to take them and for them to be with him. And the way he got past it was to see God in it, not them in it. And note, he said, "God sent me before you to preserve." Life. You see, a long time ago, he had a choice to make. Am I going to dwell on what they did to me, or am I going to dwell on the sovereignty of God in this situation? Over oh, six. For these two years the famine had been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Yeah, you guys were bad. You were really bad, (laughs) But God was at work using it all. You see, a sovereign God not only rules, but he can overrule. And he was at work in this situation. Verse 9, hurry up. Go up to my father and say, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Here's the key. How could Joseph... Have this kind of attitude at this time. I want you to look back in your Bibles and see, and look for God. It says, God sent me, and God sent me, but God, and God has made me, and he keeps saying it over, it's all God. See, you could have spent this whole time cataloging all their sin against him, But he's not spending a lot of time in going back, reaching into the past to rehash it. None of us. He's just saying, God did this, and God did this, and God did That's a key for us. Uh, Just buckle up for a minute, because I want to say something that might make you a little bit uncomfortable, and that's okay, because then I'll just drive back to Alberta So I have been a pastor a long time. And I'm old like you, Dale. I couldn't be more against the practice of taking someone and having long meetings or counseling sessions meant to take people back into their past with all the failure and all the sin and grinding down and down and waiting and wallowing and soaking in the muck. I've never seen anything good come out of that. And it becomes this rumination in resentment. You know it, Paul Talk to the Philippians. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward. He says, I'm not perfect, I haven't attained, but I press on this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind. <laughs> Paul had a lot to forget. You know that, right? He had a lot to forget. See, the question is, which direction will you look? Probably about 30 years ago, um, I'm thinking about that. I was in high school. It's going to be a youth pastor. It was very popular for the churches to have um, inner healing seminars. And as I watch what's left of them today, I saw so much of that churning up the past instead of letting God deal with the past. And it actually became very harmful in people's lives, not helpful. See, Glenn, shouldn't sin be acknowledged and confessed and repented of and and talked over? Absolutely, amen. Uh, and, And shouldn't people turn from sin? Yeah. But then they need to give it to God for good. All things work together for good, even those things. And if you're here today and, and you're thinking, you know what, I need to go through some kind of, you, Glenn, you don't know what I've done. If you knew what I've done, you would believe in some kind of Protestant purgatory for me. Because I, I, I deserve this. It, I've got to churn through this. I, I need to do this. No, no, no. According to the word of God, if you've done something that was wrong, yes. Confess it, give it to Jesus. Jesus. But know this, that God is bigger than all of it. You can't imagine how big our God is. He's bigger than all of it. And to you, it might seem like a mountain. But as you give it to God, he can let that come down. And and so that all you see is God looking unto Jesus. See, if I'm I'm constantly looking back instead of looking unto Jesus, and if Jesus is at the finish line, and, and, and if I'm looking back, who am I taking my eyes off of? And what happens in this, brothers and sisters, even though a professional might be leading us along this track, is I begin to lose perspective and the resentment begins to grow in all kinds of direction, whether the hurt is self-inflicted or I've inflicted it on someone else. The resentment grows. I'm a mess. I start sinking and, and I'm, I'm like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. We heard that. he he, look, he sees the wind and he sees the waves and all of that. And if he didn't call out to the lord he'd be fish food at the bottom of the lake but he did call out to the lord you know, it's about focus versus distraction joseph could have been using all this time to create a nuclear bomb to blow them all up to have had it but he didn't he was overwhelmed by god in his own life and he extends grace to them that's the key he's free and he says go take this news back to your dad and it's your job to do this look at verse 10 you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me you and your children your children's children your flocks and your herds and all that you have including your donkeys your stupid donkeys there I will provide for you lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine." what grace he's given so much Didn't earn any of it. But now all he wants to do is share it with them. The ones who hurt him so badly, it's just grace, grace, grace. Come near to me, verse 12, and behold your eyes, and the eyes of my mother, of my brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of my glory in Egypt, of all my glory in Egypt, of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his and he wept over them and after that his brothers talked with him what a beautiful restoration no court no catalog of wrongs god had done the work and he just begins to weep over them in relief in love In compassion, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Joseph and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Say to your brothers, do this. "'Load your animals and depart. "'Go to the land of Canaan.'" Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Pharaoh says, I'm gonna provide the moving vans for you. (laughs) Tell your family to come. And leave your junk there. We got better junk here for you. We're going to give it to you. And this is epic. Think of this. this. is like a jumbo jet, you know, going to pick up the whole tribe. All expenses paid. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh And he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys, Loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. What does that mean? You guys, brothers, don't overthink this. Don't fight about this. Just follow the directions. Don't all of a sudden start thinking in your mind, oh, this could be a trap. This isn't real. We're in it for good. No, no, don't get all selfish about it and get mad at Benjamin or whatever. Just just focus on the plan. I love reading this because I know myself. We're God, not sovereign. I have the very real potential to sin against grace and undo the good news of his work and restoring power by digging back in the manure again and messing around in it and creating all kinds of trouble and overthinking instead of sticking with the good news. I love Joseph. I love his wisdom. I love his exhortation. And as this works out, he says, don't be troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Good news for a changed man. This isn't Jacob. This isn't heel catcher. This is Israel. He's not the guy that was whining before all. Everything is against me. God had conquered his heart too. And Jacob believed. and It was enough. And he didn't even care. His son Joseph was the prime minister. He said, he's alive. That's enough for me. That's all. That mattered. Let's bow our heads, shall we, as we close our time together. People change. As God works and as people surrender to the Lord, they change. And God works on both ends. There's a right way and a wrong way to walk in it. To let the past go to embrace grace in the future, to rejoice in it, and then to give and give. And the key in all of it is to see God in it, not man. And that will keep you out of the ditch every time. Father, I pray today for Calvary Chapel, Kelowna. And Lord, great grace is on this place. And I thank you for that. I thank you, God, that you work and you do amazing things in spite of us. But Lord let us where we want to be, where you want to be, so that our hearts in alignment with you. God, I pray for this church, and I pray, Lord, your continued blessing on these people, and I pray, Lord, there will be bridges out to a world that needs you and your grace. I pray, Lord, that hearts will be full of the sense that God, you love to change people. You love to transform people. And may you do it by your work and by your word and by your spirit amongst these beautiful, precious people. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.